Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So today's guest is an interesting guest, and I'm reading his bio, and I'm reading his legacy. And you would think like something simple as lawn would not have built such a robust entrepreneur and environment. So you guys know I like to give my, whoever I'm interviewing a particular title, and I, I think this title is well-deserved. I'm going to deem you the lawn boss. So why don't you tell <laughs> our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, the lawn boss. I like it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I appreciate it. Thank you for that, that great intro. Uh, so my name is Brian Clayton. I'm CEO and co-founder of a company called GreenPow. And so GreenPow is an app that works like Uber, but for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and need to get your lawn mowed rather than calling around on Craigslist or something like that, you just download GreenPow, pop your address in, you'll get four or five quotes back in a couple of minutes, hire the contractor you want to work with. They come out, mow the yard for you and you just pay them right through the app. And then you can just set it up for the whole season or right through the app. So kind of like set it and forget it. I guess you could say GreenPal is like a nine-year overnight success. My two co-founders and I have been at the business for almost a decade. But now we're nationwide in the United States, a few hundred thousand people using the app. And we're doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue and self-funded. Haven't taken on any outside capital to build the company. So, I mean, he's so low-key low and relaxed and it's so like, nonchalant but did you not listen to the numbers of this man just say oh we just make about eight, eight figures per year and i think you said like a hundred hundred thousand right dude you have over like cro- like closing on four hundred thousand active reviews like how the hell like I, I want you to back this shit up i want you to take it back in time and i want you to kind of really explain this to people because you know there's this lawn clear professionals that people say hey you know, John, come and mow my lawn, water my plants. And you took it to a whole nother level to where you created a platform that allows all these different providers to have access to the community of people. So you created a damn platform. So I want you to talk more about like, how the hell did you even say one day the hell with mowing lawns? I'm going to create a damn platform to do this. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I appreciate the kind words. I guess, you know, for us, we're nine, 10 years in. And it's like the Jeff Bezos quote, it's always day one. You never feel like, oh, I've made it, you know, oh, well, look how far we've come. You know, yeah, we've got 300,000 people using the product right now and, and we're profitable and doing well, still growing fast, but we want to get to a hundred million dollars. And so we're sitting here figuring out okay, how we're going to get there. It's like business is like this video game and like every level there is a new final boss. And, and you know, it's like every level there's a new dragon you got to slay. And so that's where we're at now, you know? And so, so yeah, I appreciate that. We've come a long way, started off really humbly. The first year we ended up with like 20 customers and like a, like $3,000 total revenue. So we come a long way from that. But uh, it was funny is that, you know, a decade in the problem we're solving back then is still the problem we're solving today is how do we make ordering a lawn merit Boeing service quick, fast, cheap, easy, reliable, predictable, like running water. And we've been working on the same problem for 10 years, making it better and better and better. And the idea came from my first business was actually a lawn mowing business. I, I actually started mowing yards in high school as a way to make extra cash. And 
I ran a lawn care company for 15 years and ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee where I live. And in 2013, sold that business. And so sold it to one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And uh, after that, I retired. I didn't have to work anymore, which was nice. Uh, but I got bored and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, you know, an app needs to exist to do this thing that I know very well. And so I guess it's kind of like it was authenticity as a competitive advantage. But that was the only thing that we had going for us was, was the domain experience that I had from 15 years in the industry. We didn't know how to write software. We didn't know how to code. We didn't know how to, how to market software. So we kind of had to, my two co-founders and I had to teach ourselves these things along the way. And that was really tough. But we stuck it out. And luckily we did. And luckily we didn't raise any outside capital. And, and luckily, you know, we, we, we just kind of kept our heads down, kept working. And now here we are, a 10-year overnight success. Nice, nice. No pun intended, but I mean, you took the grassroots way, right? I mean, you, you kind of, and I think it, it, when it comes out like business structuring, obviously you get funded, you get angel investors, but for, from your standpoint, I mean, you learned the business, you built the business, you sold the business, you took the capital from that business, reinvested and made your original business essentially a joke in comparison to where you are right now because you systematize it, right? So yeah. like, I want, I want to talk about you a little bit. Like if you could define yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? I think, uh, well, one of the words would be, would be consistency. I think one of my superpowers is consistency. It's just, it's just showing up day in, day out, doing the little things, doing the things that suck. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is a Mike Tyson quote. He says, do the things you hate, but do it like you love them. And so it could be anything from writing blog posts to reaching out to journalists to, you know, I actually love doing podcasts like this, but, but there's stuff that I actually still don't like to do a decade in that I still do. So that consistency showing up day in, day out, uh, authenticity would be another, another, another quality that I, that I, I try to ascribe to. It's like, I don't try to be something I'm not, you know, I don't try to be, uh, I don't try to chase flashy things. Um, I think there's correlation between the least sexy your idea, the greater your chances of success. I've spent 22 years, uh, in one industry, the lawn care industry, you know, I was, I ran a company in the industry and now I've, I've run, run the world's biggest platform that, that, that systematizes that industry. And so I haven't tried to like chase all of these bright, shiny objects, you know, this, this, this one thing. And then, and then uh, I guess the other thing would be maybe I would like to say a, a value that I try to live by is courage. You know, I try to, I think every good story uh, requires some element of risk. And, and for me, you know, it, it was scary when I sold my, my first company and had to kind of reinvent myself as a tech startup entrepreneur, which I had no clue what I was doing. I was way out of my element, but I just stuck it out, kept, kept trying to learn from people smarter than me. And so I think, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to start a new company, you're going to start a new startup, it's, it's going to take some courage and particularly the first two or three years, cause you're not going to make any money and you're just going to stick it out. Definitely. I mean, just listening to you speak, I mean, I, I could see that, like you said, you know, you, you get up and you roll with it and you, you're living and breathing this every single day. So I think two things is what you just said. I mean, you brought the Mike Tyson quote in there and just talking about the experiences. So any any entrepreneur journey, there's always like, I would say the toilet bowl moment when you're sitting on the toilet bowl and it's full of the, you know, and you're like, what the hell am I going through? So what was your worst experience within that first 15 years to, to kind of where you are right now? What did you really have to overcome or the thing that you remember having overcome the most yeah yeah it's a it's a really good point every single and it's important that everybody hear this understand it every single entrepreneur goes through a moment where okay my wife well, my spouse hates me uh all, i don't talk to my friends anymore 
I'm, I don't, I can't pay my bills. Uh, my customers are pissed off. What the hell am I doing with my life? And it's like, everybody goes through that and you just got to plow through it and you got to knuckle down on the things that are working. And I've had many moments like that, you know, in the first company, uh, I had many, many ups and downs where, you know, I couldn't make payroll one time going through the 2008, uh, financial crisis, you know, payroll was like a hundred grand a week. And I, in one week I only had like 17 grand in the bank and had to go to my people hat in hand and say, Hey, we can't pay this week. I'm sorry. You know, we're going to try to make everybody whole. That was really tough. Uh, but it's those hard things that you go through. Uh, and founding a business and growing the business that make you a better founder, make you a better leader, make you a better entrepreneur. And believe it or not, five years goes by and you're in a weird way, glad they happened because it's those things that, that cause you to level up, cause you to get stronger. And, and in particular, my first business, the 2008 financial crisis was the reason why I was able to get the business sold five years later, because it, it forced me to rebuild that company from the, from the studs, from take it down to the studs from the, from the inside out. And, and it made it a better company. So a lot of times, if you're going through these low points in the journey, believe it or not, you'll look back, you know, particularly like COVID right now, you'll look back, you'll be glad it happened because it made you a better entrepreneur, made you a better leader and made your company stronger. Yeah. That's, that's powerful, powerful stuff. So, I mean, I think that this is, this is a good time to segue in. Like, you're, you're the epitome of entrepreneurism, right? I mean, you had an opportunity to start a company, sell a company, take that money and create a new company, right? But the transition, right, between a physical service where you were actually doing the lawn care versus a digital service, like, what is that? I mean, I, I don't think some people can even comprehend because that's two separate monsters. So how was that? And I think you alluded to it a little bit, but I want you to really talk about that transition. Like, what was that transition like? How hard was it? And, and, and then how are you coping with it now? Yeah, it was, and to your point, it was very difficult. It was one that I wasn't prepared for. Uh, it was almost kind of like naivete as an asset, because if I had known how hard it was going to be, I never would have done it. I, I just would have said the hell with this. I'll, I'll do something else. But I'm glad I didn't because I got in the game and, and then I, I was able to realize, wow, people actually will use this. This is cool. Uh, I'm creating something that people will use and get value from. Uh, there's an interview with Steve Jobs and he says, uh, he says, you know, when you, you can, you, once you see the world in such a way that you can build products, you can build things you, that people will use and you will never see life ever the same way again. And, and you can literally like poke here and it, something pops out over here and you can like poke back at life. That's what Steve Jobs said. And, and so it's like, you realize that and that's what keeps you going. But if you knew like day one, how hard it was going to be, you would never do it. And that's, that's how it's, it's been for me. And the one thing looking back that I didn't really understand was that uh, was that it was a big difference between running a like a like a big small business versus what what I had. My company had like 150 people. We were doing 10 million a year in revenue. Largest one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee. Sold that. So here I am. I think I'm like on my high horse. I know everything there is to know about business, and this software business should be easy. And and I really was quickly confronted with I didn't. I didn't know what I didn't know. And one thing was there's a big difference between running a big company like that versus inventing a brand new product from scratch. So you're inventing something brand new that, that nobody's ever used, that nobody knows how to use, that, that maybe people don't even want to use. And, and so you're trying to figure that out. You're trying to figure out how do you build that product? How do you architect it? How do you design it? How do you market it? How do you convince people they need it? And how do you put it in the hands of people? And like, there's no playbook for this stuff. You have to figure it out as you go. And that's really, really maybe 10 times harder 
than running a big construction company or a big landscaping company or a restaurant group or something like that. Like the, 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 the playbook has been laid out for those businesses. If you're, in, if you're going with a technology digital based business, most of the time you're building a brand new, inventing a brand new experience that nobody has ever used. That makes it an order of magnitude more challenging. Very, very nice. And I mean, it's very interesting that uh, you, you put it in that, in that context, right? So, I mean, in, in addition to that, right, we always hear about the 20 years it takes someone a success story. And somebody may be hearing you for the first time and been like, okay, this guy's an overnight success. But I mean, you kind of depicted some time frames. You talked about 15 years here. You talked about five years here. So the combined duration of time, how long did it take you to get from where you were to where you are currently? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because it's one that I like to try to share. And um I, I myself have been seduced by the illusion of the overnight success. And a lot of times you'll read in the tech press, so-and-so company just raised a hundred million dollars or so-and-so company just sold for a billion dollars. You're like, what? They've been around three years. How did they do that? And, and then you start peeling away the layers. And what you don't understand is like, in 2005, they started this thing and it bombed. And then, in, and then in 2009, and they had a blog they ran for three three years, and then developed an audience doing that. And then, and then they worked for maybe Google or Facebook for three years. And then they started this thing, and they, they already had the wired up connections and, and the infrastructure and the knowledge from and experience from and wisdom from failure. And they plowed 10 years or five or 15 years into the thing that worked and, and ran quickly. And so there really is never an overnight success. It's always the product of five, 10 or 15 years. And it's always like a lot of other little things that maybe didn't work out. And, and that founder used, those, the, used that knowledge to plow into the thing that did work. And so for me, you know, uh, first five years of running my first company, it was me on a mower, like literally mowing grass, you know, and, and then I had a couple employees here and there. And then I try to figure out, okay, how can I get this to 10 or 20 or 30 people? And those five years of that. And then, then it was five years of running a company with 50, 7,500 people. It's just 15 years there, just learning the, the, the block, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of running a business. And then, you know, sold that and, and, uh, started green pal. And it was literally the first year you know, we got 22 customers, you know, and, and uh, passed out door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee, begging people to use this crappy app that we had built. And then it was another year, like trying to like, okay, how can we make a hundred customers in a week happen? And then figuring that out. And, you know, now we're doing thousands and thousands a day, but it's very, very, very slow. All these things take time. You can, you can do things to accelerate the process by learning from people who have already done what you're doing and, and, uh, and, and studying like a lot of the things that people are putting out, you know, you can, you can go to YouTube university and learn pretty much anything you want to learn. So in many ways, it's easier today than it's ever been. But at the, at the same time, a lot of these things take three, four years just to figure out what the hell you're doing and a decade to make something great. That's usually the case. So, I mean, this is to say put time travel on the table, right? If you could time travel back any duration of time within the last 10, 20, 30 years, what's one thing that you would go back and change or something that you would tell yourself to do something uniquely different to get you to where you are a lot faster? Yeah, it's uh, the, the power of delegation and, and really trying to figure that out quicker. A um, couple things happen. And, and, you know, when I, when we built GreenPal, here's something that happened. We, we didn't know how to code. We didn't know how to, how to build software. And so the first thing we did was we outsourced everything to a development shop and pissed away like $150,000 doing that. They took nine months, built this thing. And it was a total piece of crap and it didn't have the features it needed. It was clunky, buggy, didn't work. 
And we were quickly confronted with the reality of, okay, if we're going to be in the tech business, we got to learn how to build tech. We got to learn how to write software and we had to teach ourselves these things. And so then we had all the scars from wasting $150,000 of our own cash. And this was very much like money. My co-founders and I pulled together uh, credit card checks, loans from mom, you know, liquidated 401ks. It really hurt to lose that money. And, and so once we got under, got, got back on our feet and learned how to build software, built the second version, we held on to that for too long. We didn't, we didn't build out the team around us quick enough. Uh, and, and we didn't delegate again soon enough. So we made a mistake of delegating too quickly. And then we made the mistake of delegating too late. And, and so if I could do it all over again, I could probably save myself two or three years by saying, okay, yeah, we know how to do this. We're doing it ourselves. Let's quickly develop a, a process and delegate it to somebody who's better than us so we can move on to this next thing. Whereas we just stayed in the trenches and kept on doing it ourselves for way too long. So, you know, the, the, the tendency, especially with a lot of new, new founders is to delegate everything right off the rip. And, and that's a mistake because you're delegating from a standpoint of abjuration. It's like, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. You handle it. That's usually always a recipe for disaster. You want to be able to delegate from a standpoint of stewardship, which is, here's how we do this. This is why we do it this way. This is how long we expect it to take. This is how long it should cost. Here's how the quality control measures we have in place. Understand that what we're getting is good. And here's when we expect it back by. And if you can't deliver on that, we'll get somebody else. And that's stewardship delegation. And the, really the only way to delegate from a standpoint of stewardship is to like get the 80, 20, you know, nailed on whatever it is doing it yourself. And then like, let's quickly get somebody in the seat, get them working on it full time. And like just these simple concepts took me too long to figure out. So if like we could get into the DeLorean and go back in time, that would be, that would be a mistake that'll help myself uh, avoid. I think that's, that's an interesting um, pain point that, that you brought up and, and just, just dissecting to talk about that for a little bit. Right. So on one hand, you're saying that, you guys jumped the gun too early to essentially outsource the development of creating an app. But on the other hand, it would have probably taken you some time to get you and your partners up to speed to be able to know how to create an effective app. So this is, this, this, this talk about this from the devil's advocate point of view, right? So if you guys had took the time and created the app and you paid someone to create the app, I guess the only difference between the, the, the out, the results of that first app would have been, saving of that 150,000 because again you guys would have been building your first app it would not have been as good as the app is currently right now is that a true statement yeah yeah that the time and the and, and money and the time because we wasted a year with those guys okay and we were seduced by that the fallacy that we could outsource the tech and 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 never have to bring it in house and so looking back it was as silly as like trying to start a five star restaurant mm -hmm. with no chef no recipes mm -hmm. and but a great looking Storefront, awesome, awesome tablecloths, uh, you know, nice, good, nice, nice hostess at the front, maybe even an awesome point of sale system we bought somewhere, but, but no chef. And, uh, and that's the rest, you know, like that's not going to work. And so that's what like starting a tech company with at least, you know, a co-founder who's a developer or, you know, like you need to have that stuff in house, you know, Paul Graham calls it a hacker and a hustler. Like ideally you have somebody that can hack together the tech side and a hustler, somebody that can make it rain on the sales side, drive the business forward. We had three hustlers. And so we had to like develop ourselves as, as, as hackers. And so we could have saved ourselves 150 grand, maybe a year or two. And, 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 and maybe even almost avoid like quitting because there, there was, there was some time, there were some periods during that, like the first two or three years that were really tough that we just had, it was real, real gut check. 
So that was a risk. You know, that was a risk that we may not have never made it, you know, because we just would have been just, just would have been just too, too far knocked down. And so like that, look, looking back, like that's, that's something that's a mistake I would avoid. The other thing is, is entrepreneurship is full of all of these dichotomies. Like uh, I read somewhere, like the hallmark of a brilliant mind is to be able to hold two conflicting viewpoints in your head at the same time and just reconcile that. And so entrepreneurship will teach you a lot of, a lot of that. And so, and so like, do you delegate or do you not like do you uh, do it yourself or do you, uh, do you uh, outsource it? And so it's like, how do you reconcile that? And, and things like, you know, are you persistent or are you flexible? Well, you're, you're kind of both, you know, you, you kind of have to have this flexible persistence in a weird way. You know, you kind of have to keep moving forward, but you need to be flexible on the path that you're taking. And, uh, and another one I like is, do you have to, do you, do you do small things or big things? Do you, do you like have this huge, like audacious goal or do you just like do the small grind? And you, it's really, it's both. You have to have the big goal. We want a hundred million dollar business, but as we speak right now, my co-founder is pitching journalists. He pitches a hundred journalists a day. He writes a hundred emails a day. And so, and so it's like, is it, is it writing a hundred emails a day or is it running a hundred million dollar company? Which is it? And so it's, it's both. And that's one of the weird things about entrepreneurship is forces you to reconcile these conflicting things that you kind of have to be cool with. You gotta, you gotta do both. It's, it's not, and it's, it's not, or it's, and it's both of them. Nice. Nice. So it seems like your, your partnership, you got a, a trifecta going on. And I think obviously they're just, just, usually there's always a yin and yang partnership, but I mean, in your case, it sounds like you got like a little trilogy of synergy going on. So, I mean, that, that's definitely interesting. And, and, and it alludes to, to the point to why you're at, at eight figures. Right. So, I mean, that, that my hat goes off to you for that. So, I mean, jumping into like my next question, I want to talk about like your original trifecta, right? I mean, right now you, you have a core partnership with three people, including yourself. What was your, your upbringing like, you know, like your parents, obviously, some of the influence and I, and, and I hate to jump out there and say it and put a, and put my foot in my mouth, but your parents had to be entrepreneurs at, at some course of your life. So let's talk about them. Like how did they influence, influence you to where you are? Yeah, it's a, man, it's a great question. Cause I like, like to give props to my folks. Um, cause I wouldn't be where I am without them. That's for sure. You know, both my parents were, were, my dad was in the military and then, and then he, then he went into manufacturing. My mom was a professor. So they, they were not entrepreneurs. I'm the first business owner in, in our family, but my dad forced me to go mow my first yard when I was like 14 years old. He said, Hey, get off your ass. Uh, I got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And I was playing like super Mario Kart or something. And he made me go mow the neighbor's yard on a hot summer day. He actually mowed it with me. And then after we got done, he like walked me around and pointed out all the areas that I missed and like taught me the, the value of a good job. And, and, uh, and, and I got paid 20 bucks and back in 1994, you know, that was a lot of money for an hour's work. And so, and so I, th I learned something really, really salient. It was just, you know, man, this is, this is it, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm never going to work for somebody else. I'm always going to be working on my own thing. I didn't think I was going to be a lawn guy my whole life, but, but, uh, the idea of, of being in charge of your own, you know, having agency over your life and, and being in charge of how much you wanted to work and how much effort you wanted to put into something and how much you were going to get back out. I learned at age 14 because of my father, because he forced me, I you know, I wasn't born to like, want to go just, you know, go out and bust it and be entrepreneurial. He forced me to do that. And, but, but after that, it really, man, I, I really took to it. I, I, the first thing I did was made a bunch of door hangers or, or flyers on my old school desktop computer. 
And, uh, and I guess I was lucky enough to, to be in a, have, in a household that has had a computer back in 1994. You know, that was a, that was a lucky thing for me. And, and my folks provided me with that. And then I passed out flyers all over the neighborhood. And by that first summer, I had like 10 customers. And I always had more money than my friends. And I loved that. Like, you know, I, I always, not, not in a competitive thing, but like I could be generous and I could, you know, back in the mid nineties, I was walking around with two or $300 in my pocket as a 15 year old kid. Like that was big for me. And I, and I, and like, and, and it's never always been about the money, but like that, that felt good. And I remember how that felt. And, and that was one of the things that set me on my path and never looked back. And I went to college, but probably shouldn't have because I still ran that company all through college. By the time I graduated college, I, I had 20, 30 employees and made a business plan and, and made it happen. Nice. Very, 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 very nice. So, I mean, just talking about like coming from like your, your upbringing with your parents and like family into today's world, right? Like how do you consistently do what you're doing, but also make enough time for your family? Like how are you juggling both these lives? Yeah. You know, it's, I think in the early years, it's hard. Um, now I'm 10 years in, you know, we got a team of 40 something people working with green pal, several hundred thousand customers, 30,000 lawn care services using the app. And so now we, you know, we got some momentum. It's still day one. We're, you know, we're trying to triple the business, but I don't have to put in the seven days a week, uh, hundred hour weeks anymore. Like I did the first three, four years. So, you know, the unpopular answer is there is no balance when you're first getting started. You know, when you're trying to go from zero to one and like maybe the 10 levels of the video game, you know, the first three levels, it's, it's going to be like your soul, <laughs> everything you can pour into the business is, is just going to have to, it's, it's going to require that seven days a week because you're doing three things at the same time, particularly in the, in the early days, you're, you're working in the business, you know, you're doing the writing the code or writing the blog posts, or in my case, you know, mowing the yards. Then you're working on the business as you're developing the systems and the processes and, you know, trying to figure out how do I build a business here and, and not just have a job. And then you're doing a third thing is working on yourself. It's like, I don't know how to write stuff. I don't know how to write code. I don't know how to design software. I don't know. I don't know the first thing about, you know, leading a team of engineers. I don't know how to put together a growth hacking team, you know, so you're working on yourself. So you're doing those three things. You just can't do those three things in 40 or 50 hours a week. I mean, you just can't. And so it's going to take a lot of time, 70, 80, 90 hours a week in the first few years. At least it's been my experience. And so as it relates to like a personal life, there is none. You know, may, you know if you've got, you know, if you've got two or three kids and, and, and you know, a mortgage and two car payments and, and maybe even putting a kid through school, starting a startup's not for you. It's going to be really, really tough unless you already have like a, like a win under your belt. Like, you know, you've already built and sold a company or you're already a known commodity. And, and in which case, somebody's going to give you a ton of cash to build it. But that's, that's usually rarely never the case. So, so that's the unpopular opinion. Um, as time has gone on, you know, I, I've been able to kind of like have that yin and yang. And now, you know, I, I, I live a very comfortable life. I only put in probably 40, 50 hours a week. I travel a lot. I, I spend time with my family. I go on vacations a lot. Um, so now life is a lot better than it was for a few years. But my point is, it's like you're going to have to run hard for, for a period of time to get some mom momentum going. And then you can pull back a little bit after you've delegated out to a great team around you.
Got it. Got it. I think the, probably the most bullshit I ever heard, and it came from you in the last 30 seconds of that conversation was like, well, I only put in 40 to 50 hours now. It's like, that's, that's, that's the average nine to five employee. And he says, I only put in 40 to 50 hours. But I mean, that, that goes back to your dedication, right? I mean, you wouldn't be where you are if your ass was cutting back and slowing down. Like you said, every day is day one. So again, man, my hat goes off to you. So, I mean, that leads me to like another question. So if you're, if you're still pushing that 40, 50 hour mindset every single week, right? What does your morning habits, your morning routines look like? Yeah, and so it's, it's not all about just clocking hours, you know, it, but a lot of times, you know, that's what the marketplace is going to require you as the founder. You know, the marketplace doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care where you went to school. It doesn't care what your background is. It doesn't care who you know. It doesn't care what networking you've done. The marketplace wants one thing, a great product a great customer experience. The marketplace demands innovation. And so you as the leader, as the founder, you know, you're going to have to put in that time and that work. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Jeff Bezos. He says that the thing I love the most about the customer is that the customer is always discontent. And, and so like that discontentment of your customers is going to require you as the founder to always be, be pushing the envelope. And and so now, like the time I put in is, is more high leverage time. It's working on the business. It's working on myself. It's what these, it's what uh, in the seven habits of highly effective people, which is one of my favorite books, um, Dr. Stephen Covey, he talks about, you need to be working on the things that are important, but aren't urgent. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it's like most of our days are dominated by the things that are urgent and not important. And we got to get out of that, that quadrant and move into the things that are important but aren't urgent. So the things like strategic planning, the things like culture, like recruitment, uh, uh, what, what, what our next marketing channel looks like, um, what the next product feature is that's going to drive a better customer experience. Like, like these things aren't burning the house down today, but that's where I need to spend my time. So I try to spend my, as much of my time as I can in that quadrant of things that are important but aren't urgent. And I really only try to get, you know, three or four good hours a day. And then everything else I'm doing is like teeing that up and making that happen uh, or, or, uh, or, or supporting everything around that. And so a lot of it today, it, it revolves around things like, you know, the consistency of the routines, um, the, the, the checking in of the teams, of the teams around me, removing log jams of those around me, keeping myself in good physical shape. You know, I've gone through times of the last 20 years where I let, let that go and the business as a result suffered. So a lot of it is, 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 is just working a routine that I like, that I, I enjoy, that I'm happy with, that I'm having fun with. And, and, and I think that's going to be a signal for me the next 10 years. The minute I'm not having fun running this business, I'm going to hand it off to a professional CEO or sell it. Nice. Very nice. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're well into the way. I think, to be honest with you, I mean, it's like you sold one, you're building another one. I almost guarantee you before the time is up, right, you're probably going to build another two companies before your life is up. I mean, I just, <laughs> that's possible. I see it. It's, in you, it's possible, man. It's possible. But this one was hard. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> nice, nice. So, I mean, you brought up, you brought up um, effective habits. You're talking about the book. So like my next question is a three-part question, just generally about books. And this is like one of my favorite parts of, of this podcast is going to give me insight to kind of what you're reading. So the three-part question, right? Question one is what books do you remember reading that helped you to get to where you are? Second part to this question is what books are you actively reading now? And the third part to this question is going to be very interesting for you is like, have you had an opportunity to author any books as of yet? Great questions. And so one of the things I love about 
running a business, starting a business, founding a business, it's going to require you to, to do shit like read books, listen to podcasts, go to YouTube University. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to make it. And you, and you really quickly learn that because you, you really quickly understand like, damn, man, I'm way out of my, my league here. I've got to level up. I've got to find the knowledge. i got to internalize it and i got to put it to work. So that's one of the cool things about a business. By the time I graduated college, I might have read one book in my life. And, uh, and as I went through my business journey, I started picking up stuff and, and seeing how I could apply it to what I was doing. And so some foundational books to how I think, um, is, is seven habits of highly effective people. I try to read that at once every year or two, or at least listen to it on audible. That book is awesome. It just talks about how to live an effective life. And, uh, and then another, another book that I read early in my journey that I still, still revisit is, is good to great by Jim Collins. You know, that book talks about doing a few things really well and, and understanding like how you can be the best in your market at, at one thing and make money at it and, and stay the best and what the flywheel effect is at the core of your business to stay there. And it's something, these are principles we still even apply today at, at GreenPal, even though that book is 20 something years old. And then, uh, and then another book that, that has been foundational to me is, is the four hour work week. And, and that book is not about working four hours a week. That book is about systems, processes, delegation, duplication, uh, getting out of the quadrant of, of urgent uh, and, but not important and getting into the quadrant of important and not urgent. And so that book's important. And then, uh, today I'm reading a book, uh, called the cold start, um, and it's, and it's by a, uh, a venture capitalist, gosh, and his name escapes me, but he was, he was a growth, a growth guy at Uber. And so the book is about getting over the cold start when starting a, a marketplace business, like what we have. So we don't have the cold start problem, but the book talks about, you know, how do you treat the cold start problem? So it's opened my eyes to all sorts of, of new, new ways of thinking, like how these guys did it at Uber and, uh, and, and, and how, what things we can apply to our business. And, and so one point is, it's like, as you start like discovering uh, sources of knowledge, you really go down the long tail and you really can find people who are just domain experts at the very exact thing you're doing. And you're going to be like studying everything these people have done. And odds are nobody's heard of these people but they've done what it is you're trying to do. And that's the beauty of the long tail today is like, you can go way deep. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like if you're trying to start a fashion brand on TikTok, there's some cat, some girl, some guy that is talking about that and talking about how they did that. And you could really, really, really learn from them. So it's like, it's important to get out of like the, the Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, like bucket, although those guys are great and go really down the long tail of practitioners that are putting out blog posts, putting out YouTube videos, putting out online courses, putting out books about the exact thing you're trying to do to, to, to get where you're trying to go. Nice. Nice. And the last part of that was, have you had opportunity to offer? Uh, uh, there probably, it would probably just be my mom that read that one. I have not read, I have not authored a book yet. Maybe I will one day, uh, you know, if, if, if I reach the finish line with green Pal, whatever that looks like, maybe I will. Um, I think there's so many books and, and so I think to say something that hasn't already been said is tough. And, and, uh, but I could, I could tell my story about how I went from yeah. pushing a mower to retired at age 33 to tech startup entrepreneur of a nine figure business. Maybe I'll tell that story one day. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hope you do. I mean, just hearing your story for the first time myself and we're having this conversation, I could totally see that there's a kid somewhere, probably in the Midwest. He's 12 years old. He accidentally comes across a podcast or your books and you inspire him. And then he ends up, you know, essentially buying your company 20 years from now. I mean, it's like you got to plant these seeds, you know, like I said, no pun intended. But the reality is like you're doing it. You're living it. It's almost a disservice to other people for you not to say, here, here's my my blue map, my blueprints of how I've done it. And so I definitely would say you got to write that book, man. I appreciate that. I think I think if like if somebody can learn something from me, the thing I would hope it would be is if that guy can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And it's because I'm not uniquely talented in any way. I, I, I haven't. I'm, I'm average intelligence. Uh, I just, you know, I just really kind of stuck it out over 20 years and, and built great teams around me. And so that would be the thing I would try to convey is like, you know what? Uh, I saw that interview with that dude with the lawn mowing app. If he can do it, I can do it. So that, that would be the thing I would try to, I would hope people would take away from listening to me. Nice. Nice. So let's just talk about the, the app for a minute. Right. So obviously, you know, I think people are familiar with marketplace apps in the sense that where, you know, you can kind of look for say home builders, right. And under home builders, there's roofers, there's plumbers, but you've kind of essentially took a slice of that and created your own, like bubble that's just essentially lawn like like what was that like kind of like competing in that space because some of these other applications out there lawn care is a, is a small slice right it's not the right. big picture for them so i mean was that something that was beneficial for you to niche down as much as you have and i mean obviously you have eight figures to back it but i mean really hindsight being 2020 do you think that was the ideal thing for you to do absolutely and here's why i think to compete in today's world you have to be the best in the world at something you can't just be kind of good at a lot of things because like companies like Amazon and Uber have, have taught the customer to, ex to expect perfection, to expect it to happen on time at, at a good quality at what was promised and nothing less. That's almost like table. That's the, that literally is like table stakes now. And that even if you deliver that, you won't even get a good review that's expected. And so you can't deliver that, that Uber, Amazon, like customer experience unless you are focused on one small thing and being the best in the world at it and you can't be misled by looking at the big established players well like amazon for example and saying well look they do everything i can do everything amazon as we all know got started with books was literally the the, the world's best bookstore and they were that for a long time uh and so you really have to be the best in the world at at one thing when you're getting started and, and even when i mean like you're getting started the first 10 years and, and another thing is, is like when somebody comes to your product, your property, your website, your app, you have to be able to answer three questions in three seconds, maybe even two seconds. You have to be able to answer, where am I? What can I do here? And why does it matter? And if you're like four or five different things, you can't, you know, you don't have clarity around that stuff. And like the clarity trumps everything else. Clarity like trumps persuasion. Clarity trumps marketing. It trumps brand. It trumps everything. It's like, okay, what can I do here? Oh, wait, uh, order a lawn mowing service today, uh, uh, even if my grass is four feet tall. Yeah, I'm sold. That's what I need. Like, you have to be that good. And so for us, one of our like keys to success is, is ignoring all the other stuff and just focusing on this one chore, this one thing. Let's make it quicker, faster, cheaper, better, uh, more consistent, more reliable. And uh, and that's been core to our success. Maybe one day we'll go into like other home services, but but not for the foreseeable future. Got it. Got it. So for right now, your your long term goal is essentially to become a hundred million dollar corporation. So this next question is stemmed based upon that. Like, so where do you see 
the company and yourself 20 years from right now? You know, hopefully um, I'm still running it and hopefully I'm having fun doing it. Uh, I think every company, the primary bottleneck is like the founder's limitations. Mm -hmm. And so I, I haven't reached, I don't think I have, I don't think I've reached that yet. Uh, but, but it, once we do, if we do, then, then maybe I won't be at the helm. I think every company goes through three phases. Like you go through the startup, the, the grow up, and then the scale up. And so the startup is like, hell, I'm just trying to solve and I, I solve a problem. I have this idea. I think it might work. Maybe I can get 20 customers or get a hundred customers and let me figure that out. It's product market fit. Let me get that figured out. And then you maybe get that figured out and then you grow up in the grow up phase. It's like, okay, I'm doing hundred K a year. I want to do a million a year. You know, I'm doing a million a year. I want to do 10 million a year. That's like, that kind of that grow up phase. And then there's the scale up. It's like, let's blow this thing out. Maybe we go raise money. You know, maybe we, uh, you know, maybe we hire a rock star CEO or something and, and, and take this thing to a hundred million and beyond. I think I'm pretty good at the first two phases. I, I've never done the third. And so what we, what I might find out is I'm not good at that and, and I'm not enjoying that. And uh, then I'll put somebody in that role uh, or I may sell the company. You know, I don't know. Um, so, so the next 10 years, 20 years, is largely dependent on, am I enjoying it? Am I having fun? And am I the best person in the, in the role to, to lead the team forward? And if I am, I'll stay there. If I'm not, then, then I'll turn it over to somebody else. Nice, nice. So, I mean, that kind of opens up a gateway for me to actually this next question. You're talking about particular roles, right? So if we're talking about roles as far as CEO stepping in to possibly then run the company, just, just step it back a little bit. Because, I mean, what's really feeding your enterprise is essentially your clients, right? So who is your ideal client avatar? And I'm asking you that because again, it may be the average person that owns a lawn. It may be the actual person that's going to be doing the work. Like who is it that should be on your platform and why should they use it? Yeah, it's a great question because when you have a multi-sided marketplace, mm -hmm. you're often confused. Do we have two customers? Do we have one? How does this work? Who's more important? And for us, our, the customer is the lawn care service. That's the customer. Because if they're not happy, if they don't love doing it, if they don't love using it, if they don't wake up every day, check their GreenPal app for the lawns they got to mow that day and do a good job for their clients on the app, well, then we don't have a system. We don't, we don't, have, uh, we don't have a product. Uh, so we, have, we really kind of bias towards, are these folks making material income on the platform? Are we able to double or triple their business in the first three months? Uh, are they sticky? Are they sticking around to use it? And if they are, then we have a product in which a homeowner can kind of order them off the shelf, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, if you're a rider for Uber, you know, you, you're, you're, the, you're the customer and you, you, you think you're the customer, but you're not. The driver really is the customer uh, because, because that's where they're constrained. They're always constrained by getting more drivers on the platform. There is no shortage of people who want to ride in one minute across town for $7. There's no shortage of those people. There is a shortage of folks that are willing to take that gig. And so that's who their customer is. And so for us, that's how we look at it. The customer is the lawn care service. That's who we optimize for. That's who we care. We, we care about both sides, but we really, really deeply care about the, the lawn care service and giving them the opportunity to make material income on our platform in a much quicker, faster, cheaper, easier way than they could out in the wild, wild west. And so that's how we look at it. Nice, nice. So based upon that, just talk about, you know, we don't have to get into exact numbers, but just listening to, to your premise. So I guess you're just saying is that the service providers are essentially paying to play on the platform and then you're bringing the customers to them. So you're taking part of that profit to the customer and then renters to that service. 
That's right. Yeah. They, the service providers come on the platform. It's free for them to join, free, free for them to use. They just pay a transactional fee for all of the work they do on the platform. And that fee varies based on how much volume they're pushing through the platform. Now, on the other flip, on the other hand, we measure these folks rigorously. So, so we measure them in terms of reliability, how often they show up on time. We measure them in terms of, of consumer uh, uh, happiness. You know, how often do they get booked to second mowing and a third mowing? That's a very strong indicator if they're doing a good job. And then also the qualitative reviews. Like we have the standard five-star uh, re review system for every, for every mowing. And we use that information to understand, okay, these are the best lawn care services in Indianapolis and in Indiana that you can hire. And then here's the ones that aren't so good. We don't show those or we expel them. Mm -hmm. And so we use the data to promote the good business owners, the ones that really do care, that want to take care of people and kind of demote and expel the ones that aren't so good. Mm -hmm. So then homeowners get value from using it. Nice. Very nice. That sounds very, very, very sexy for sure. So this next question, I mean, obviously you're into app creation. You created an app that has a specific need and requirement and it gives the results that, that the audience is looking for. But I think most people don't realize that even though you're a creator of an app and you have an app platform, there's probably several other apps outside of your platform to help you manage and do your day to day. So outside of your platform, like what apps or software do you use that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really, really good question because a lot of times like an idea, if you're too, if your idea is too early, mm -hmm. it's the same as being wrong. And, uh, you know, these days we've got, we've got Instacart, DoorDash, uh, Postmates, all these apps for delivery service for food delivery. And, uh, and these apps are possible now because of mobile technologies, mobile payments, mobile apps, whereas like 30 years ago or 25 years ago, there was a company called Webvan that was trying to do the same thing. And they, and they pissed away like $3 billion in capital, which was, which was probably two or three X the, the amount back then. And so it wasn't that they were wrong. It's just that they were too early. And so a lot of the, the, the dynamics around being too early is, is, is there the infrastructure that you can build on top of? Uh, and so for us, um, a couple key things is, is a, a Stripe for payments. Um, we've been able to, to build right on top of um, literally standing on the shoulders of giants uh, to be able to build on top of their financial infrastructure. Because everything from like charging the right amount to the right person at the right time and then, and then, and then separating out who gets what, the platform gets X percentage, the vendor gets X percentage. And, uh, and really just making that flow smoothly is, you know, without Stripe, uh, we wouldn't be here. So that's a big one. Um, and, then, and then other things, you know, around cloud computing, uh, companies like uh, Twilio, which, which enable you to just drop in a, an, an API to message people uh, via SMS is huge for us because one quick, one early thing we learned uh, was that people don't really read their email. You know, I read my email. I mean, I, I use the hell out of my email, but, but what's funny is like half of the homeowners that use our, that use our, our system and, and over half of the vendors never check their email. So you would think, well, we sent you an email that you were about to be charged. You didn't get it. No, I don't, I don't read my email. Like, so we had to figure out real quick, we got, we got to text these people. And so we had to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to text all these people at the right time? And so uh, an API like, like Twilio enables us to, to do that. We would never be able to build that ourselves. So that's just two examples out of about 20 of different technologies that we use. We integrate into the GreenPow platform that make the whole experience happen. 
Nice, nice. I think that that's definitely very key. I mean, the API integration across the board. And I think from like 1990 to 2000, everyone was asking for APIs without knowing what API was. And now that APIs are amongst us, if you're not integrating, like you're saying, you're integrating Stripe with some other key features into your platform that makes your platform a lot easier to the way you don't have to develop the financial side. You don't have That's to right. spend a hundred million dollars developing that when you could just plug it in. Like prime example for what you're doing, like chargebacks probably would would have broke your system trying to figure right. out how to activate chargebacks when Stripe already does that for you by default. So I think that's definitely a good insight that you drop. So going into this other question, right? Like if you can give fi- like words of wisdom, right? And let's say you're talking directly to your ideal avatar, and in this case would be a service provider, what words of insight would you give to them to kind of help them continue on their journey? Yeah, so somebody that, that is looking to start a lawn mowing business or, 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 is growing, or is in their lawn mowing business and struggling, one thing I would tell, tell that person and, and maybe anybody is that the lawn care business is the great, greatest business in the world to learn how to run a business. There are the, the top 20 things you need to know for any business you can learn in the lawn care business. So things like customer service, organization, quality control, you know, uh, routing, uh, optimization, processes, good marketing, uh, preventative maintenance, things like that. You can learn in the lawn mowing business. So step one is like, hey, I know you may not want to be in the lawn mowing business, but hey, maybe you just do it for two or three years and get the win under your belt and put some money in the bank and then you can do something else. So that'd be the one thing I would say. And then the other thing is, you know, boy, do I have a product for you because now I can give you 100 customers in a month. Uh, I'll get you paid within 24 hours. We all organize and manage your route for you. It's a CRM and an end marketing optimization uh, or automation all in one platform. And it's free to use. You just pay a, a percentage for the work you do. Oh, and by the way, you can add that on to the jobs that you do. So that would be like, like how I would frame it to, to service providers. And it's a pretty no brainer. Like we, we were able to get enough of these folks to sign on to, to tee up, tee them up for homeowners. So that's how I would, I would frame it to, to them. And, uh, and then, and then anybody that's thinking about starting a business, particularly a tech business, you know, you can think that maybe you're too late. Uh, you can think that maybe you waited too long or you missed it. And the reality is you didn't miss it. it it's, it's always going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Even if you think about software, do you think software will be around a hundred years from now? Yes. Well, how long have we really had good software? 10, 20, maybe 30 years. So we're really still very much in the first or second inning of this. It's always going to get bigger. So get in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, it brings to a point to a statement that I made before. It was like everyone in today's world is so accustomed to messenger, 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 but all of this started from AOL messenger, which was like the slowest damn thing on the planet to where right. only like 1% of the 1% even had access to a computer with dial up to have this messenger service. And now everyone takes it for granted. So to your point is definitely very valid. Um, so going into like, how do people get in contact with you? I mean, do you want to send them to your website, social media? How does one get in contact? Yeah. Anybody that, that doesn't want to mow your own yard, just download green pal in the app store or play store, get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service in less than a minute. Anybody wants to hit me up, uh, as far as social, I put most of my time in Instagram so you can hit me up on, on IG, just Brian M Clayton and just drop me a DM there. I'll hit you back. Nice. Nice. So I got a couple of bonus questions for you. All right. You brought up superheroes earlier on. So I just wanted to kind of figure like if you could be a superhero, who would you be and why? Ooh. Uh, I really growing up, 
I, I read the hell out of the Punisher comic book series. Something about fixing wrongs in the world and making things right and and uh, delivering justice just resonated with me. And he was a tough bastard too. Tough bastard. Uh, and he was real. He didn't have any like special superpowers. I think he might be the only superhero to not have any superpowers. And maybe I, I see some of myself in that, um, that, that I don't have any special real outstanding qualities. Um, I just kind of work with what I got. And, and, and that's, and that's what, the, that's, that's the punisher. No, no real superpowers. I don't, I could be wrong, but I think he's the only superhero that doesn't have any. I think it's him and Batman. Those are the two. That no, that's are. right. Batman too. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> Batman has billions of dollars. Like he might, that might as well be a superhero. It could be. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Frank, Frank, Frank Castle just lived in a sewer uh, yeah. with a bunch of, with an armory. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So um, another question for you, right? If you could spend 24 hours with anyone dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. So, you know, the big answer would be, uh elon musk or mark zuckerberg or or uh, jeff bezos and those would all be to me would be would be you know no brainers but i think a lot like to my earlier point a lot of like what can be helpful is is just dialing in on somebody who's already done what you're trying to do and so for me it would be a dude named travis travis kalanick who who was the founder ceo of uber dude dude was just really really relentless really ruthless uh really perseverant with how they started that company i mean you got to remember like back 10 years ago i mean everywhere was trying to outlaw uber and everywhere was just trying to crush it and they were like facing you know taxi cab uh commissions and and the taxi cab mafia and local local like like local stodgy regulation that was getting bought off by by the taxi cab uh mafia and, and so they they just stuck that out and like i, don't, I would love to learn like that level of resilience and perseverance from, from, from that man. So that's who I would spend time with. And he just seems like a nice guy. Seems like a cool dude. Cool. 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 Yeah. 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 I mean, you're, you're sparking interest to me today. I mean, obviously I've always been interested in Uber, but you know, kind of like, like you're saying the big three would have been like Elon or, you know, Bill Gates or Steve jobs. But yeah, to, to your point, it's interesting to what they have done considering they're kind of like the insurance agency to where insurance companies have come, you know, they've been purged out, gotten rid of, closed under, pushed out by the mob. But yeah. Uber is still here considering yeah. that all these things still fall under taxis as well. So it's definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and, and, and the other thing too, is like, as it relates to mentors and people who you're, you're listening to the cloak, like you don't like, the, like, for instance, I was listening to an, an interview with Brian Chesky the other day, the CEO of Airbnb. And like that dude, might as well be on Pluto compared to where I am. Like he's running a $150 billion business. So I think the, the close, like if you can close the gap between where that person is and where you're at, I think the more helpful uh, that, that, that it will be um, not that, not that I'm anywhere near Travis Kalanick, but I think the, like the more, re, more congruent and, and like the more related you can make the mentor mentee relationship, the better. So it's like, let's say you're a real estate agent, and you and you want to start a real estate uh, investment portfolio. I mean, you probably just need to be following around somebody that's got twenty million in real estate. You don't need to be th thinking about what billionaires are doing. You need like the person who's at the next level of the game, learn from them, and then level work your way up. That's been my experience. It's like don't get too far ahead of who you're trying to learn from. Nice, nice. I think that's a good segue. Right? I mean, you're talking about like the next level up versus twenty levels up. So you went from lawn care to lawn service through an app. 
usually, and, and, and I'm being facetious here a little bit, right? The next level is usually investments, right? You're talking about probably real estate. Is that in your cards or are you, are you really playing in that market already? Yeah, no, I, I, well, so when I sold my first company, I plowed all the money into, into really illiquid long-term investments because I didn't want to ever mow another yard. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I think if you're smart, you, you can develop different rev- sources of revenue uh, of income. That way you don't have to like have all your eggs in one basket. And so for me starting green pal, I was able to build it the way I wanted to, because I didn't have to like rely on it for a, for a, you know, to go to the grocery store that week. And so, yeah, I, I do investing in real estate. I do a little bit in, in stocks um, and, and mainly, mainly just those two. I don't really play with crypto or anything like that, but, I think if, if you can do a couple of these things, you can start a startup and then also maybe invest in a little bit of real estate and, and kind of be good. You can be good at both and figure out ways to generate passive income. It can increase your chances for the, the thing you're swinging on the fences. Nice, nice, nice. Great. Well, I mean, it was definitely, it was a hell of a podcast. And this is usually a time where I think you're a seasoned vet. You've been on like probably hundreds of interviews at this point in time. So what I want to do is I want to give you the microphone. The Boston Cage podcast becomes yours. Do you have any questions that you would like to ask me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first off, great, great interview. I, I really appreciate the energy. Where did the name Boston Cage come from? Because I, I like it. Got it, got it. So, I mean, as the story goes, it was, I had an, I still own another company called Cerebral 360. And uh-huh. it looks like what you were saying earlier, it was kind of like, it was more so internally to me, it was more personal to me, but it wasn't talking and resonating to my target audience, right? So I had to go through a lot of different things for like 15, 18 years, survived the stroke, came out the stroke. And I was like, okay, how do I reinvent myself? What am I going to do that's uniquely still me, but now talks to this community of people? And that's what I was like, ah, I'm going to create a podcast. Oh, shit. What's the name of the podcast going to be? It's sure as hell it's not going to be Cerebral Podcast. It's not going to resonate. So I sat down and I did what I do. You know, I branded it in the marketing and I'm sitting down and then sure as hell it came to me. I was like, boss, a four-year-old could spell boss. An yeah. age an eight-year-old could spell on cage, but the combination between the two becomes a synergy. It's like, I understand what a boss is and I understand the animal wants to be in cage and I'm a boss and I want to become in cage. And then once I saw the two words together, I was like, holy shit, that's it. And the rest is history. I really like it because what, what it, what it kind of invokes to me is like, I never had to work for it. I never had a job, but if I was going to work for somebody, I would want to like work for somebody who was charging the mountain, who was, who was going up the hill, who was, who was literally uncaged. And who was going to take me and the team to some place that we couldn't go by ourselves? Yep. So that's why I like I like that brand. That's cool. Cool, cool. Well, I mean, I'm happy you said it because I mean that that's what I wanted to do. I, and I like that every single time I get that question and somebody gives me the response that you did is uniquely different. So the brand kind of invokes your own personal representation of you onto the brand. And that's what I want other people to really understand. That's what branding really is. It's not really about yourself. It's really about how other people perceive it. That's right. That's exactly right. I like that. Nice, nice. Well, I definitely it was it was a pleasure meeting you for the first time. I, it was a great, 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 great show. I love having you. I think it's one of those things that where I think ten years from now, when you start the other company, I gotta have you back again for sure. Because I know I'm putting it out there in, in, in ethos right now. This is not gonna be your last stop for sure. Hey man, I appreciate that. Well, when I do, when I get Green Pal over 100 million, I'll come back on and we'll celebrate it. Oh hell yeah, yeah. Let's just definitely <laughs> do it, man. So once again, everyone, the lawn boss himself, man. Pleasure having you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. All right. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. 
If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.